You are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement. The pastor God has put over your life or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Would you all prepare your souls uh, and your hearts and your minds uh, for the reading of God's word uh, for his spoken word, uh, the sermon. Let's prepare our souls. Exodus 6, 1 through 13. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name is the Lord, and I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me, How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, would you speak to us? Spirit of the living God, would you descend on us to open the eyes of the blind, to unstop the ears of the spiritually deaf, and to break our hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh? Spirit, reveal the beauty and the majesty and the splendor of Christ and his gospel to us this morning. Spirit, be with me as 
my mind is spinning, as my anxieties are present, and be with me, for it's not by my power or my words that people are changed. It's by you, God. And so, spirit, move. Spirit, convict. Spirit, transform. Do your work. Reveal Jesus to us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, for some of you, um, when you heard parts of this passage, uh, specifically verse 9, verse 9 where, where it says they, they do not listen because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery, when, when you heard those words of Moses responding to the Lord, many of you thought, I, I know somebody. I know somebody who can't hear the promises of God right now through the word of God because of their broken and depressed spirit that enslaves them. That's some of us. We know somebody like that. But some of you thought to yourself, that's me. It's been weeks, months, even, even years, where it's been difficult for me to hear and trust in the promises of God because my soul has been crushed. I've been experiencing a dark night in my soul. Whether that's you or that's somebody you know, you're probably wondering, what does God have to say to people like this? What will God do? Well, God, regardless of our predicament, regardless of of what we go through, he'll make himself known to you. Regardless of what you go through, God will make himself known to you. That is his commitment to Israel. That is his commitment to us. And what we'll discover specifically in this passage today is that when Israel's pain led them to doubt, God still promised to draw them out. That's true for us. That when our pain and our trials lead us to doubt, God promises that he will draw us out. He's done this. This is God's MO. This is his character. He's done this. We'll see this in the first point, that he's done this as the God of ages past. We'll also see this in the second point, that he's doing it currently in this passage that he is the Lord of the present. And finally, he is the Lord God of the promised possessions. And so this beautiful God is being present to this downtrodden people. He's the God of ages past, he's the Lord of the present, and the Lord God of the promised possessions. So let's dive into this first point, y'all ready? the God of ages past. The first thing that God does with Moses here in verse one is he's telling Moses that he can expect God to do what he has promised to do. He's going to draw his people out 
of the land with a strong hand into his presence. What we must see is that promises made by God are promises that are always kept by God. He reminds Moses in verse 2, he says, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Now, these aren't promises that God is just making to Moses and the Israelites. These are promises being fulfilled that he made to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he made a covenant with them. What's a covenant? A covenant is a commitment to a promise. It's an agreement to a promise. Well, what promise? The promise to be gifted the land of Canaan to which they were just sojourners. They were just wanderers. But he wants it to be theirs, their own possession. And the Lord says to Moses, I've appeared to them. I am. Yahweh has appeared to them as God Almighty. You might have heard the term El Shaddai. The sufficient one. The powerful one. The mighty one. The one who is sufficient and powerful to work even in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's dark days. But what what does it mean when he says that God, the Lord Yahweh, appeared to these men as El Shaddai, but by the name Yahweh, the Lord, he did not make himself known to them? Well, it, it can't mean that they did not know the name Yahweh. And the reason we know that is because it's used in the book of Genesis. We see the phrase, the Lord, in all caps. That's Yahweh. So it's not a statement of when the name is revealed. It's a statement about what the name is revealing. It's revealing to Moses what was once concealed to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, do, do this for me. Do this thought experiment for me. Think of your favorite book, your favorite TV series, your, your favorite movie. There's two reasons why it's your favorite. The storyline and the character development. It's, it, typically, those two things are phenomenal and they're present in your favorite film or book. Now think about what you knew about the characters and maybe the pilot episode of your favorite series or maybe the first five minutes of a film. What did you know about those characters? Not much. But as the story unravels, doesn't it reveal more about these characters? Some of them going from good to bad, and some of them going from meh to like jaw-dropping amazing characters. This is what happens when we read God's story cover to cover. We discover that human beings, it went from beautiful and good to bad to worse. But with God, he keeps getting fuller. His character keeps getting bigger and better. This is what's known in the theology world as progressive revelation. Alec Mottier writes this, progressive revelation is not a movement from error to truth. You see that? It's not a movement from error to truth, but from truth to more truth. The lesser to the greater, 
the provisional to the permanent, the inadequate to the perfect. God's revealing more of himself to Moses that he had not yet revealed to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so what has God revealed to Moses that was concealed in the ages past? Well, that's what we'll see in the second point, the Lord of the present. So what was concealed? Well, the God who was called Yahweh was known as El Shaddai to Abraham and the rest. And here in Moses, the situation reverse. El Shaddai, God Almighty, is saying, I am. What was concealed? How God would save them. How God is going to give them the land. He's saying, when all this is over, when you see everything I'm going to do, when you experience all of the plagues, when you see me bringing you out through the sea on dry land, you will know me in ways that Abraham wish he could have known me. You will know me as Savior. You'll know me as Deliverer. And you will know me as Redeemer in every way they never got to see, they never got to taste, and they never got to touch. They will know God as the Redeemer who heard them in their pain and in their groaning. We see that in verse 5. And he says to Moses, tell them, remind them, tell them I have remembered my promise. Tell them that I will save them and I will bring them into Canaan, into the land flowing with milk and honey and all of the amenities. Tell them, I will redeem them. Did you know that right here, that word redeem, that's the first time it appears on the pages of scripture since Genesis 1. God is the redeemer. How? How will he bring them into the land? He will redeem them. He will purchase them. The word redemption means to purchase slaveries, slaves out of slavery. He's here to redeem Israel. Tell them, Moses, remind them in their groaning, in their pain, in their darkness. Tell them. So in verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And so the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. Well, what do we learn from this? God hears people who can't hear him. God heard their groans. God listened to their cries, even though they were unable to listen to him. The other thing we learn is that Israel is suffering from something outside of them. Did you see that in verse 9? They're suffering from slavery, from the oppression of Pharaoh. And that suffering on the outside led to a type of suffering on the inside. A crushed soul. They were unable to hear. They, they did not listen. Why didn't they listen? Well, their inability to listen was due to a crushed soul that had been crushed by slavery. This is not what I'm saying. This is what the text is saying. Do you see that word because in verse 9? Why couldn't they listen? Because they were spiritually depressed. 
because they were put underneath the harsh punishment of slavery. And notice what God does not do in this moment. He does not condemn Israel for their crushed spirit. God doesn't condemn them for their depression, and God doesn't condemn them for the predicament he finds them in. No, God doesn't condemn them. He sends somebody in for them. He hears them when they couldn't hear for themselves. He listens to their cries, even though they could not hear Moses's pleas. See, most of us, when we see this, we want to immediately figure out, well, did, is, is Israel right or Israel wrong? Is Israel sinning or not sinning? Are they obedient or are they disobedient? That's how we, in our finite nature, want to respond to this. And maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but that's how I want to respond. Are they right or are they wrong? But God, when it comes to a crushed soul, God rarely condemns the depressed on the pages of Scripture. He rarely condemns those who are crushed, but he does condemn those who are crushing them. Does Israel have sin problems? Of course they do. Do I have sin? Of course I do. I mean, we'll learn about that later in this story. But their spiritual depression right now, their crushed soul, it's not labeled sin or sin. God doesn't call it sin, but he does saying, I'm going to call them out, even though they're doubting. This is not the only place where we see God responding this way. We see it with the prophet Jeremiah, who is known as the weeping prophet. He not only wrote the words of the prophet prophecy of Jeremiah, but he also wrote Lamentations, which was just, man, his soul was in pain and in turmoil because he was lamenting over Jerusalem state. And we see this in our Savior Jesus. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Jesus is crushed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he's being crushed for our sins on the cross, he cries out, why? Why? My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? And the author of Hebrews tells us that he was without sin. When people are crushed, God doesn't inflict more pain. God doesn't point out flaws. You know what God is? He's patient. God is long-suffering. God's words are not cold, nor do they hurt, nor do they harm. God is full of comfort and full of hope for the broken and for the crushed. He's full of comfort for those who doubt, promising that he will draw them out. And we even see this patience with God's servant Moses. This isn't Israel is just doubting. Moses is. He says they won't listen to me in verse 10. And on top of that, do you remember God? I stutter. I have a speech impediment. You think Pharaoh? I mean, if, if these people won't listen to me, what, what makes you think Pharaoh's going to listen to me? But both with Israel and Moses, God keeps reminding them of the promises he's made. I'm going to bring you out. In their groaning, God says, I'm going to pull you out. 
I mean, if we're honest, the default human language across the globe is groaning. Romans 8 tells us, and we with all of creation are groaning for the redemption of the earth, for the new heavens to come with the new earth. This depression and broken soul, I mean, it makes sense in a fallen world, doesn't it? It's a very human experience. And to know that and to admit that to ourselves and to others is the beginning of a type of freedom. It's freedom from the lie that it's only, it's only my fault I'm depressed. It's only your fault that you are this way. And this is what is happening in our culture right now. Our culture either wants to play the victim game or our culture wants to play the blame game when it comes to rights and wrongs. And I think this story and the rest of the Bible shows us that we are a mixed bag. We're a mixed bag of motives, of emotions and actions. And some of us are like Israel, who've been tarnished by the shame that is brought about when others sin against us. Well, at the same time, we're like Israel and having sinful responses later in life. And this is the reality of the fall. Genesis 3 tells us that sin has brought death and decay to all things, to every facet of our lives and every facet of Israel's life. We can't just say it's that one person's fault and it's never the other person's fault. We all fall short of the glory of God. And when we are led to doubt God, we're led to think that we have to become like God. Did you notice that in Moses? Mo Moses is not even talking about God. He's talking about himself. He's saying it's based on my ability to speak and not on your ability, God, to speak through me. But God reminds him again, I am. I'm going to draw you out. These are deep problems for Israel and for us. Deep problems like spiritual depression and slavery. And, and hear me, deep problems are never quick fixes. Deep problems require deep patience. I heard a counselor, David Powelson, some of you might know, know of him. He said, this is the first patience, is the first character trait of love in that famous love passage from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is, can you say it? Patience. What does a crushed and enslaved soul need? Loving patience. Why did God save Israel? Why did he choose to redeem them? I'll tell you. It wasn't because they were great. It wasn't because they were mighty. And it wasn't because they had perfect faith. He saved them because he loved them. The Lord is patient to keep reminding Israel and to remind you of this in the midst of your physical pain, your soul pain, and your emotional pain. He wants you to hear, I am a patient, loving God who has promised to draw you out into my presence even when you doubt. The I am is yours. And you are the I am's. 
This is the God of ages past. This is the Lord of the present. And now we'll see third point, the Lord God of promised possessions. In verses 12 to 13, God speaks to Moses again about his promised plan and about the promised land that he will give to his people as their prized possession. Notice the goal is not undepression. The goal is hope of God's promises in the midst of depression. The goal here is not a quick fix. The goal is deep roots in the depths of God's promises, even when your problems can't be fixed. The goal is not get me out of my situation. The goal is knowing that God is with them and with you in every situation, and he promises to bring you out of that situation because he is the God everlasting who outlasts every situation. That's the promise, and it's not by their works. It's not by their impressive faith. It's by God's power alone, his patience alone, and his presence alone. Look, God doesn't redeem them because they stop doubting. He chose to redeem them because he's the promised redeemer. He doesn't redeem them because they cheered up. He's redeeming them because it brings him joy and delight to bring justice to those who are in need. In spite of our doubt, in spite of our spiritual depression, and in spite of the things that might oppress our soul, God will redeem, not because of you, but because he is the promised redeemer. He is the deliverer out of any darkness. Can you see this amazing news? That God, who is everlasting, will outlast Israel's suffering and crushed spirit. And if their trust is in him, even with sprinklings of doubt, they'll outlast their suffering. They'll outlast their doubts. They'll outlast their darkness in God which means that for you who are in the midst of darkness, for you who knows people who are crushed, you can remind them God will outlast your darkness. And if you're in Christ, you will outlast your darkness. Why? Because the I am has chose to reveal himself again. The I am who was once the redeemer in a fiery bush, the one who was the I am in a fire by night in a cloud by day, has now put on human flesh and moved into the neighborhood, and his name is Jesus. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, tells us that long ago, at many times, do you hear that? At many times. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, now Moses, and many times and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That's Jesus, whom he appointed to the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is who Jesus is. This is the I am putting on human flesh and saying, I am here to be your redeemer. I'm here to purchase you out of the slavery of sin that binds you and brings darkness into your life. We see this in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. And what is that name? It's the name Jesus takes up regularly in the Gospel of John. 
Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. It's the name of Yahweh. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world who brings life to those who follow me. Jesus says, I am the door. And if you enter through me, you'll receive abundant life. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life so that his sheep might be protected, delivered, and redeemed. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And Jesus says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in the darkness of your sins. This same I am the Lord, Yahweh, the Messiah that was concealed in the Old Testament has now been revealed in Christ Jesus in the New Testament. This is not just progressive revelation of the I am, but the cumulative revelation of the I am in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we must not forget how the I am came. Jesus was a man of sorrows. Jesus knows your sorrows. Do you know him? Jesus was acquainted, the I am was acquainted with many griefs. The I am knows your griefs. Do you know him? Jesus, the I am, was in a depressed and crushed state because he knew what he needed to lose in order to bring you out of the pits of slavery to your sin and darkness. He knows what it's like to be depressed. He knows what it's like to be crushed. Do you know him? Jesus was crushed for your iniquities. So your soul didn't have to forever be crushed. Jesus was able to listen to God even while in a world filled with darkness in our place. He was filled with tears. He grieved and was still listening and obedient to God's word. He is the true and better Israel. He's the true and better Moses. I mean, y'all, he's the true and better us. <laughs> and in our place, and Jesus is perfect life and his perfect sacrifice on the cross and all that he did he did not sin he who knew no sin was made to be sin so that we by faith even weak faith even faith that is filled with doubt sometimes he who knew no sin became sin so that you and i can become the righteousness of god so that he can redeem us purchase us by his blood on the cross and he did this without sin even when he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the greatest darkness we can ever experience, Jesus faced on the cross. It was that darkness of not knowing the Father's love. He was forsaken by God so that you would never be forsaken, so that you would never be left alone in your darkness. See, even when we don't listen, we can trust that Jesus listened perfectly on our behalf. Even when we're unable to hear, it's by faith through God. 
that he sent Christ, that God still hears us through Christ. Christ obeyed perfectly in the midst of darkness so that we, by faith, can be seen as God sees Christ. Charles Spurgeon, many of you might know him, many of you might, might not know him. He was called the Prince of Pe Preachers, but what many don't know about Charles Spurgeon, he had a lifelong struggle of depression. He was a child of 17 other siblings, nine of which died when they were babies. In one of his early preaching engagements, he was preaching to a large crowd. Somebody decided to yell fire. Nine people were trampled to death. Two dozen were hospitalized. Charles blamed himself. But as he worked through his depression, it lasted all of his life. He had great glimpses of hope. And he offers some of these words. He says, no, no matter how deep your darkness goes, God's grace goes deeper still. No matter how deep your sorrows and ills take you into the ground, because of Jesus, God's eternal arms will be lower than you are to hold you and to keep you and to bring you out one day. Because no matter how long you have suffered a broken spirit, because Jesus rose from the grave, Jesus will outlast your broken spirit, and so will you. Because Jesus has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we are not a people, but now, by Christ alone, we are his people. And God's ability to save us doesn't depend on our ability to even figure out how he will save us. It doesn't even depend on our ability to even see or feel that he will save us. What it depends on is Christ's ability alone. When someone is in captivity, you know what it depends on? The rescuer, the redeemer, the redeemer. and that and is that Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. So, so even, even when, when, church, church even, even when, when you find, you find it, it hard, hard to hear, hear and trust, and trust God's, God's promises. promises. Remember that because of Christ, God still God hears you. Church, Church remember, remember that, that even, even when you, when you find, find it hard, hard to, listen to listen to God's, God's words, words, that because of Christ, of Christ Jesus, Jesus, God is God still, still listening to you and is lovingly patient with you. And even when you're struggling to obey, know that God's, that God's love, love for you isn't, isn't based, based on, on your obedience, obedience but Christ's, Christ's obedience. obedience. And you know what's you know awaiting what's us? us? A, promised a promised possession. possession. A promised possession of the of new heavens, heavens and a new, new earth, earth will be in the presence of God, of God forever. forever. And there'll be no, there'll be darkness. no darkness. And there'll be only there'll be light. light. And as and Sally Lloyd-Jones says, it's where all the sad things come untrue. So church, so church friends, friends, even when your, when pain, your pain leads you, leads to, you doubt, to doubt, you can you trust, trust that God, God through Christ, Christ Jesus, Jesus and by the, the power of the Spirit, Spirit will draw, draw you out. out. Let's pray. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we praise you for revealing your patience. We praise you for revealing your redemption.